Welcome to Sweet Valley Diaries, the podcast where if someone dies at your party, sorry, you're officially a murderer. Book number 41, Outcast. Will anyone ever speak to Molly Hecht again? Oh my goodness. Poor Molly Hecht. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to Sweet Valley Diaries. It's season five. Thanks, everybody, for waiting so patiently for this. I really have a lot of guilt, if I'm being totally honest, about not having a podcast during the past few months when I feel like being able to, I don't know, be in everybody's ears might have been a good distraction. But the good slash really bad news is that we all still need a distraction. Um, So... (laughs) Um, good on the good news front, though, I'm very, very happy to be joined by Megan Tripp. Hi, Megan. Hey, how are you? I'm doing great. I'm very happy to be here with you. Megan and I are kind of like internet friends, but we got to talk to each other for a long time when I was on an episode of your podcast, Megan, uh, Not Another Bad mm-hmm. Movie Podcast. We watched, what was it, Insta Psycho? Insta Psycho, yes. I was trying to remember the name of the movie. I remember the movie very well, but the title of the movie. <laughs> Burn into your mind. It was appropriately Sweet Valley High School like in the sense that it was like high school drama and intrigue. So yeah. I'm glad that I was able to serve you up a book that had all the trashy intrigue of uh, Insta Psycho. I hope you feel that way about it. It's funny because, like, before I started listening to your show, I, like, had heard of Sweet Valley Diaries, mm-hmm. and every time I, like, picked it up at the library to be like, oh, maybe I'll read this, you know, when I was a kid, I was like, nah, <laughs> this doesn't have any, like, sci-fi elements to it or fantasy right. elements to it, so I don't think I'll care. And the only thing that I read that, like, wasn't like that was, like, Joan Lowry Nixon, which was all about, like kids investigating like murders and stuff <laughs> and they were like kind of thrillers oh and then like babysitter's club yes Those are the two things. babysitter's club always finds its way to sneak its sneak its way in there sneak its way onto all of our bookshelves <laughs> um i guess it was just the best so that means that this was your first sweet valley high novel is that right yeah. yeah. Oh, man. Well, this one, I don't know if I would call it typical, but it's definitely of a genre of Sweet Valley High novels that I call minor characters in the spotlight. Mm-hmm. That's a phrase that I made up as like a like a subject category for my <laughs> blog, uh, Sweet Valley Diaries blog uh, back in the day. SweetValleyDiaries.net, everybody. That's where the podcast <laughs> is there, too. On the podcast, we've been calling this genre of book the parade of randos is particularly there was yeah. a stretch where where there were a lot of random characters and that actually feeds really nicely into talking about the cover cuz i know you read the kindle okay. edition of the book which sometimes the cover sort of doesn't present itself to you it's here it's i mean it's a black and white there's like three girls and i guess molly's in the front in the foreground? Yeah, well, I read this whole book before looking at the cover. I I read the book last night, like the whole thing just in one sitting. Mm -hmm. And I looked at it. And I was like, Oh, my God, who the hell are these girls on the cover of this book? Obviously, yeah, Molly Hecht, um, with her fan, she looks like Taylor Swift. She kind of does like with a little bit more chin, like Taylor Swift meets Jay Leno. (laughs) Yeah, her face is definitely longer than Taylor Swift's face. And the book repeatedly describes Molly in this one specific way. Did you notice it? 
Like her face is like sallow or something? It says that it also kept on saying that she had a pinched face. Oh, yeah. And I was never quite sure if the book was like describing how her face always looked or if it was just like it's pinched right now because she's in such emotional turmoil. Like she's... Right. Like that way of when you're like scowling and your whole face is in a perma scowl because you're so yeah yeah, yeah exactly that megan just gladiators <laughs> megan just made I the just face frowned at her. and i and i'll do it too <laughs> and pursed my lips i actually we, we were both pursing our lips <laughs> yeah um i actually catch myself making this face on zoom all the time like i'm lo- i'm i'm not looking at the conversation like it's not even a commentary on the conversation it's just like i'm frowning i'm like like trying to s- clearly see my like document that i'm typing while simultaneously mm-hmm. looking at this other screen and my eyes are glazing over and my contacts are turning weird directions in my eyes and I'm making this like scowling face constantly in Zoom. Something I've learned about myself uh, in 2020. But yeah. yeah, but yeah, there are these two other ladies. Uh, all three of these girls have this same kind of 80s gray blonde hair. Well, the one one of them in the back has like dark hair. Yeah, it's a little darker. Yeah, we're probably both at a disadvantage here because you're looking at a black and white version, and mine is like old. It's like faded with time. Yeah, but you know they're all wearing pastel men's shirts for some reason. Molly looks kind of like she's wearing a men's pajama top, but. (laughs) Maybe she is. I don't know. She's got pretty earrings. I mean, she just looks sad. She's sad. Yeah, we don't have to go on at length about this. She's sad. I mean, too late, but (laughs) she's sad. And the girls behind her are whispering about her. And that's basically Molly in this book. Yeah, we don't know who the other two girls are. It doesn't really matter because the whole school is talking about her. So it could be literally any two people. Yeah, yeah. Um, So just not that long ago, I recorded a bonus episode of the podcast about a book. It was like a super edition called Winter Carnival. And that happened back before Regina Morrow died. And cracking open this Aww. book last night was like, oh, right, shit. <laughs> it was like, maybe that's why I put off starting this season. It's like, oh, I got to plug <laughs> myself back into this horror show. Because it starts off like right where the last book picked up. Basically, like it's the yeah. next day, or it might even be the, that. Like it's oh, the um, it's memorial not, service. Yes, how could I even suggest it was the next day? It's like literally, it's the same day, the same <laughs> minute, probably. Yeah, the next minute, Elizabeth is done reading her memorial poem for Regina, and she goes over and talks to Jeremy about how hard everything is, or Jeffrey. Jeffrey, I, I her yes, <laughs> he's Jeffrey. forgettable. If you ask me, no, Jeffrey, Jeffrey French is her boyfriend, and they sort of cry, he's been crying, it's everybody's been crying, everybody's so sad, and one person who's really, really sad is this girl, Molly Hecht, who we never heard of before the previous book, but Gladiators, if you haven't listened to episode 40, On the Edge, because maybe, like, you didn't want to put yourself through that or something, (laughs) Jeremy... Jeremy is a guy, so there is a Jeremy. He's the one oh. who um, befriended Regina in the last book, and then... I thought that was Justin. Is you're totally right. <laughs> oh my god. Even All as these I, people are so forgettable. Even as I was saying it, I was like, that's not right, Marissa, but I pressed ahead. <laughs> Justin Belson. I'm going to clean up my act here. Justin Belson was <laughs> the guy that... A befriended Regina, Regina befriended in the last episode, and he uh, had been friends with Molly Hecht in the past. 
Yeah. Molly started doing drugs. Justin was like, you're a changed woman. I'm not really into you. You're in with a bad crowd. But still, Regina and Justin end up at this party at Molly Hecht's house. This bad drug dealer named Buzz comes. And there's this girl named Jan in that book that does not make an appearance for some reason in this book. Yeah. Is Jan the one who pushes Regina's face into the cocaine? Or is that Mary? Or Molly, what a, whatever the hell her name is. What a <laughs> sentence. What a sentence. Uh, yes, I believe that Jan is the one who pushed Regina's okay. face into yeah. the cocaine. Jan needs to be in this book, and she is not. Does she go to their school? Is she older? I don't even know. I don't. She does not go to their school. I don't okay. know if she's older. Um, I could probably go back and reread on the edge and know for sure. But <laughs> who wants to do that? Yeah, uh, she either goes to a different school, or she's a dropout, or she's older. Yeah. We don't know. But she doesn't go to their school. But basically, everybody is blaming Molly Hecht for Regina's death, including Justin to a certain extent. And nobody, yeah. it's not just that nobody is talking to her, it's that everybody is has basically convicted her of being responsible for Regina's death. It's strange, too, because you'd think part of the story would be about, like, a police investigation into Regina's death, and... We know that they're looking for Buzz, who's missing, and he's, like, on the run from the police. But, right. like, do they interview Molly and say, like, does she have to go before a judge and say, yes, I had cocaine, and then he says, well, it's your first offense and you're a minor? Like, we don't get any of yeah. that. Well, I don't and, know what's going on there. Yeah, it's like, well, I think it's because... It's absolutely not Molly's fault. It, like, Molly didn't is not responsible yeah. for this. But, like, you still can't have cocaine. It's of whatever level. That's true. Have, right? <laughs> it's still illegal. <laughs> That's a good point. So, they're, they're, the police, I mean, the literal, like, legal situation around this seems to be that the police are looking for Buzz, like you said. Um, and I have a line about this from Lila, actually. I found it real quick. So, let's see. Jessica's saying... Anyone who gives that kind of a party and knows that derelict Buzz is definitely bad news. Everyone heard about Buzz, the pusher who had supplied the drugs that killed Regina. Kara shot another look over her shoulder at Molly. Say, the police still haven't caught that guy, have they? Are you kidding? Lila snorted. My father says the police in this town are worthless when it comes to that sort of thing. So, that's all yeah, there is. That's all we hear about that, the cops, until... Well... Except for in passing until they show up at the end of the book. But yeah, always off camera. We don't even really see them do anything. We hear the sirens. So we know that they show up. <laughs> but we don't like see them yeah. at work. <laughs> um, in, so what I was just quoting is an early uh, uh, conversation early on in the book between Kara, Jessica and Lila, where it's really kind of stating pretty clearly the way that probably most of the school feels about Molly Hecht right now. And something that Jessica says later on in the conversation is... I think it's pretty obvious that it's really all Molly's fault. Justin may have taken Regina to the party, but it was Molly who gave the party and Molly who invited Buzz. As far as I'm concerned, that means she as good as made Regina do the coke. She was insanely jealous because she still wanted Justin to like her and she couldn't take it that he liked Regina. So she made her do coke because she knew it would kill her? No, of course it wouldn't. That's the other thing that nobody seems yeah. to be talking about is that this was a freak accident. 
based yeah. on an undiagnosed heart condition. This girl had, did two lines of coke. She, you know, yeah. and under normal circumstances, she would have walked away from the party and been maybe been shaken. Hopefully, best case scenario, she's shaken up and she's like, okay, I won't do that again. A worst case scenario, she develops a cocaine habit, you know? <laughs> But even that, it's like people have lived to to excel <laughs> that are very high on cocaine a lot of the time. So not not that <laughs> not that the Sweet Valley Diaries podcast is not endorsing the use of cocaine. <laughs> yeah, don't don't do drugs, guys. It's not good for you. <laughs> yeah, in fact, I'm um, I have a lot of things. I very diligently marked this book because I uh, I was so slapdash in my <laughs> last podcast recording. So before that conversation even happens, uh, the book starts with a very like like after school special conversation at the Wakefield house. Oh yeah, because the Wakefield parents sit down their uh, three children because Stephen's come home. Stephen even came and, home. Yeah, yeah. He he drove his yellow Volkswagen home, parked right next <laughs> to the brown Ford, and now the red uh-huh. Fiat came up. Of course, this book gives us you know it's gotta we gotta have car makes and colors. Make, model, and color of every car. Here's how this book teaches young readers on page nine that drugs are bad. I thought we should talk about what happened, began Mr. Wakefield, who approached many family problems with the same methodical care he approached legal problems. He ran a hand through his dark wavy hair and sighed. Your mother and I want you to know, and you too, Steve, he added with a nod in his son's direction, that if there's ever anything that makes you feel as though drugs are the only answer. Just stop and think for a minute, Mrs. Wickfield continued, leaning forward to rest her elbows on the table. And then come to us. There's nothing you can't confide in us. Nothing we wouldn't do everything possible to help you cope with. Which I already call bullshit on that. We know that the Wakefields, uh, sometimes they do a good job, sometimes not so much. But then mm-hmm. on the next page, Stephen um, chimes in saying that uh, it can seem really tempting to turn to drugs to escape. When Trish died, Betsy couldn't deal with it. She thought the only way to get over losing her sister was by numbing herself with drugs. But it isn't the answer. It never is. Elizabeth shook her head. But it was so unlike Regina. She was the last person I would have expected. Well, she never would have done it if it hadn't been for Molly Hecht making her, Jessica cried out, suddenly, breaking her long silence. It's all Molly's fault. Um, and they, you know, the parents explained, no, it was not all Molly's fault. Regina, I mean, Regina had to make a decision. Um, but yeah, that's basically the drugs are bad conversation. And it seems like all of our characters in Sweet Valley High are on the same page about how bad drugs are. So that's nice for them. Yeah. Yeah, there's, I mean, obviously Buzz is pro-drugs because he's selling it. And oh, then, yes. <laughs> right, Buzz is super pro-drugs. <laughs> uh, and then Molly is kind of mixed. She, like, kind of wants to stop and get her life together, but she also feels like, what's the use? Everyone hates me. My life is over anyways. Yes. So she's kind of going between those two extremes. But oh everyone else is like, drugs are dumb. I'm not doing drugs. Yeah. Speaking of Molly, so because this book is like Molly's book, we get a lot of privileged point of view, you know, inside Molly's head. And that's always pretty painful. Poor Molly is going through a lot of shit. Um, yeah. The school thing is bad enough, you know, like all of her peers are cruel to her, but then yeah. she goes home. That's terrible. <laughs> because what's happened is she threw a party, which she wasn't supposed to, and she had drugs there, which is very scary. 
and obviously illegal and bad and her parents are mad about it. But then this girl dies at the party. So she's like traumatized, but her parents like don't see her as traumatized at all. They're just like, you threw a party and you had drugs there and were mad about it. Mm-hmm. Also, you're responsible for this girl's death. I think her dad literally says that, that lovely girl, and he kind of trails off. Yeah. And so, you know, they they also are blaming her for Regina's death. Her parents also are divorced. And <laughs> Molly thinks it seemed ironic to her that even though her parents were divorced, they could still stick together against her. Her father had come down from San Francisco the week before, and he was as furious as her mother was. So they're yelling at her for being 15 minutes late coming home from school. She was supposed to be home also, at 3, and it's 3.15. Yeah. Also... When does school get out? <laughs> Good question. <laughs> like, does it end at two thirty? Maybe, maybe. Because what yeah, time like, do they like get to school like seven thirty eight? I'm so confused. I'm not and sure. Then later she like goes downtown and tries to like do a bank transaction in the middle of the day. Yeah, it's weird. And it's like, how much time do you get for lunch? Like a full hour? Yeah. And like, you're only there for seven hours like i get very confused (laughs) and she was able to take a city bus from the school to the bank which i was surprised about like i lived in um orange california for a couple of years which is a town Mm -hmm. that i feel like is probably oh i would think that orange is a bigger town than sweet valley but they had a bus system but the buses Mm -hmm. only came every 45 minutes to an hour like I don't, I had to take the bus a lot the first year I lived there. So mm-hmm. anyway, I call bullshit on that. But whatever. There's a lot of things that have to fall into place in unbelievable ways for that plot point right. to work. But yeah, poor Molly. I think the parent, the stuff with her parents is maybe the worst of all because you're right. Yeah. She's traumatized, and her parents are kind of acting like they're the ones who were hurt. Like her mom freaks out and like screams and cries. Like just at the, th- she's so distraught over what happened. But it's like. It didn't happen to you. It happened to your daughter. Nice. You know, she. you think she planned for Regina to die? Like, people look at the details of the situation. Nobody planned for this to happen. Yeah. Also, like, yes, she should have know be- known better than to, like, invite somebody who's going to bring drugs and, like, have a big party. But she's also, like, a teenager. And yeah. they don't seem to, like, take that into account at all that she's not gonna plan ahead and understand the repercussions like now she obviously understands the repercussions (laughs) like she watched this girl slip into a coma what world do these people live in that like a teenager hosting a wild party is the most unheard of thing in the ever you know you can uh, look should her parents be mad at her should she be grounded absolutely Uh, absolutely but like um, for example, I was kind of referring to this a moment ago. So her parents are ganging up on her. Her father says to her, because she's feeling so low, like really, like she's, she's, she feels like she deserves everything that's been saying about her too. It's not just that she feels lonely or sorry for herself. She's also really, she feels guilty too. So she starts to try to say how she feels. And her dad says, whatever you feel, you should. You're responsible for that lovely... Dad, please! Molly looked desperately from her father to her mother and back again. 
I know I did some terrible things, and I'll never be able to forget them for the rest of my life. But everyone's treating me like a murderer. Can't you give me a break? A break? You want us to give you a break? You did this in my house, and you want a break? Her mother cried out incredulously. Angry tears began to spill down Mrs. Hecht's face. I can't take this anymore. I can't. She turned and ran from the hallway, sobbing. So that's Molly's parents. <laughs> it's also like everyone in this book, though. Like everyone mm-hmm. says what they're feeling out loud. Like, yeah. Very dramatically to themselves all the time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And Molly goes from here like she decides she just has this feeling, but she needs to talk to Elizabeth. Like she knew Regina and Elizabeth were friends. Molly and Elizabeth don't know each other, but Elizabeth's yeah. reputation uh, precedes her as being... Yeah. It- it's strange because, like, on the one hand, like, yes, she's known as the nice girl. And if anyone's going to take her side, it might be Elizabeth. On the other hand, it's kind of feels extraordinarily contrived that she would go to Elizabeth at all. But then oh, on the, yeah. a third hand, I don't know how many hands I'm going to end up having. <laughs> <laughs> like, she kind of wants Regina to forgive her. And obviously, Regina can't. And oh, I guess the yeah. next best thing is to have, like, Regina's friend forgive her. Yeah, I think that's pretty much how she feels. And, you know, she goes up to Elizabeth and Elizabeth is pretty cold to her. Elizabeth has just had her own like little emotional crying thing with Jeffrey, where she's sad because she keeps seeing Regina everywhere. And it's like, I can't get used to the idea that she's gone, which is, you know, a very familiar and relatable thing that happens when someone dies, especially as suddenly as this. And Right after Elizabeth had this emotional moment, Molly comes up to her, and Elizabeth is basically like, I can't talk to you. And Molly's like, but Elizabeth, please just... And she's like, nope. It's cold, but, like, it makes sense. Yeah. Like, it's not like she's saying, I'm holding you responsible and you're an evil person. She's just like, I can't deal with this. Yeah, yeah, exactly. since, Since she's, you know, experiencing extreme grief, it's not necessarily fair of Molly to ask for emotional support <laughs> from Elizabeth, who what? can't really do it. <laughs> That's true. And Elizabeth is the only person in the book where when Molly tries to talk to them rather than, well, I guess she, Molly talks to talk, tries to talk to Justin, and Justin kind of does the same thing Elizabeth does, only a little bit meaner, because Justin and Molly have a history. Like, yeah, they used to be best friends, so... Did they date, too? I think so. I feel like both books are sort of vague about the nature of Molly and Justin's relationship. Yeah. In a way that I kind of appreciate. Like, it seems like it's a kind of relationship that is very real, but doesn't get talked about a lot where it's like, you're such close friends that it sort of is romantic, but it's not explicitly romantic. I don't know. Right, yeah. In high school, I think that happens. It certainly happened to me. (laughs) But... (laughs) um, Molly has talked to Justin, she's talked to Elizabeth, or tried to, and been turned away. Obviously her parents uh, won't talk to her. But then she has a new idea that gives her such comfort, and it's so sweet. You said that what Molly really wanted was to be able to apologize to Regina, and she can't. But she thinks to herself, well, maybe I can. So she goes to the cemetery, She's going to go, like, talk to Regina. And she's like, as soon as she has this idea, she's like, I feel so much better. But unfortunately, her timing is terrible. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Because as soon as she gets there, she sees that um, 
Regina's Nicholas Mara. Is at, yeah, he's at the gravesite. So she like wants to just turn around and walk away, but then she's concerned that he's going to see her. So then she tries yeah. to hide, but then she's kind of spying on him. <laughs> I have, I you set me up perfectly to read this passage of the book. This is very dramatic. So I thought I would share it with you. Um, Nicholas Morrow, maybe not on his best behavior here, but he is, uh, he has just suffered a tragic loss. So we'll cut him some slack. Maybe. Molly felt a sob rise in her throat and she took an involuntary step backward to get away from the heart-wrenching scene. There was a loud crack as she stepped on a branch and Nicholas leapt to his feet. Who is it? He demanded hoarsely. Who's there? Molly was paralyzed with fear. She couldn't let Nicholas find her, but he was walking toward her, his brilliant eyes clouded by misery and anger. He swept aside the branches that hid her from view and his face turned deathly white. For a long, terrible moment, Nicholas and Molly stared at each other, unable to speak. Nicholas's jaw clenched spasmodically, and his eyes were wide with horror. "'How dare you come here?' he whispered, his whole body beginning to shake. Molly opened her mouth, but no words came out. "'Haven't you done enough damage already? Do you have to make it worse by coming here?' And, and Nicholas was yelling now, outraged by her presence. "'Nicholas, I... get out of here!' he screamed." raising one hand as if to hit her. Get out of here and leave us alone. You killed my sister. You killed her. A tortured cry escaped from Molly's throat as she turned frantically to run away and she trips over a root and she falls and she scrapes up her hands and she runs home and the phone rings and it's Buzz. Yep. (laughs) So, I mean, sorry, I like jumped right to the next thing, but this is rough, this thing with Nicholas. You can kind of see it from Nicholas's perspective. Like, you weren't really Regina's friend. She just showed up to your party, and now you feel sad and you want to, like, hang around her gravesite. Like, what's wrong with you? Like, just don't even think about her or talk about her. Like, it's bad enough that you're involved. Like, yeah, you're totally right. You know? I think that, yeah, it's an interesting thing about, you know, sometimes I laugh about the way that these books have this strange, interesting style of basically always while they remain in third person, they shift perspective. Yeah, Um, they do a lot of jumping into people's brains. But one thing that that allows for is that we know what Molly's going through. And so it's almost like first and foremost, you're operating from a from a perspective of having empathy for Molly, which is the one thing that no other character in the book really seems to have. Um, yeah. But you're right. Like, from Nicholas's perspective, this girl, like, doesn't care. Just like you said. Not a friend of Regina's. Like, it seems um, like that. And Molly knows that. Like, she doesn't, she is loath to be caught because she knows what it'll look like. It'll look yeah. um, ghastly, you know? Like, I can't quite think of the word. Um, but we'll go with ghastly. <laughs> <laughs> Well, as long as so as long as we're talking about surprise or as long as we're talking about shifts in perspective for just like a hot second here, we get a glimpse into Buzz's POV, which I think is so (laughs) dumb because like the whole thing with Buzz is he's trying to run away from the cops and like he wants something from her. And so we never trust him when he's trying to butter her up. And it's like, 
That could have been a twist. Why'd you tell us that? Yeah, because here we are on page 50. We're, we're on, so we're a third of the way through the book, and we already know that Buzz is not to be trusted. Um, and we could have been tricked. I think we could have been tricked because Buzz tricks Molly. But, yeah. you know, he calls her, he understands her. And Molly, even though she doesn't trust Buzz, it just feels so good to have someone be understanding. Yeah, he says that it's not her fault. And he's yeah. like the first person to say that, I think. And she agrees to meet him at Kelly's at 10. Which is already a bad decision on top of bad decision, but, you know. I know. As soon as they mentioned Kelly's, I was like, don't go to Kelly's! <laughs> never <laughs> go to Kelly's. Never Kelly's. People get punched, carjackings happen, it's, it's all bad. People get, uh, like, assaulted. It's all, it's never good at Kelly's. They, they serve minors there without a second thought or with only a second thought, but like it doesn't go far enough as far it doesn't go beyond the second thought. That happens in this book, right? When Molly goes there, she orders these yeah, beers. Yeah, he's like, eh and she like looks at him like, you're gonna give me that beer, and he's like, alright. <laughs> but, so this this glimpse into Buzz's POV after he hangs up with Molly is so funny because it also or interesting, I guess, because it also gives us a glimpse of this, like, underbelly of Sweet Valley that we don't usually right? get a glimpse of. So I've not been to California, but it mentions, like, um, clotheslines and, like, uh, apartments where you can see other apartment buildings, like, they're all bunched up near each other and stuff. And I'm like, is that what it looks like out there uh i mean there are places where like it's not unheard of to find things like that but it's definitely not the norm i mean we have kind of a problem in los angeles in that no i don't want to speak out of turn here but it's as if there's something against building up and so that's often proposed as a solution to the housing shortage like well just build higher build more than one story you know make multi-story buildings and those certainly are going up but there's a lot of resistance to that um and certainly florida is very similar Mm, i mean miami has like tall buildings but like everywhere else is like pretty short buildings and orlando's been having a, a housing issue and they've been trying to like make smaller apartments but People are, like, really resistant to building smaller apartments and, like, larger buildings. They're like, no, we need to make large apartments in small buildings. <laughs> I don't know why, but <laughs> they do. Definitely what is being described... It's a good point. What's being described in this book definitely feels more like a different kind of a city, a Midwestern or an Eastern, like, Northeastern yeah. city than it does sound like something you would find in California, especially Southern California. Um but not unheard of. Let me go ahead. Gladiators, I'll let you know what it is that I'm talking about. Buzz hung up the phone. He ran a hand through his long, unkempt hair and pulled aside the fly-specked window shade. Through the window, he had a great view of the back of another rundown apartment building. That's a little bit of sarcasm from our ghostwriter. I appreciate that. Um, sagging, sagging clotheslines were draped between the brick buildings above the alley. Man, I can't wait to get out of this dump, he growled, lighting a cigarette. He exhaled smoke on a long sigh. But in order to get out of Sweet Valley, he needed some money. Most of his friends were trying to avoid him. It was only a long overdue favor that had got him the use of this empty apartment for a few days. And Molly could come in real handy, he thought, as he tapped ash onto the windowsill. (laughs) 
<laughs> Sorry. <laughs> All he had to do was play it right, and he was out of here. He glanced at his watch. Four o'clock. Six hours to go, he chuckled. I'll be waiting for you, Molly. Then he sat back in his chair and closed his eyes, a faint smile on his face. So real bad guy vibes from Buzz. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's very, like, noir <laughs> with the window mm-hmm. shade and yeah. the cigarette. <laughs> um, so, oh, we haven't talked at all about the Jessica plotline of this book that is... Right. So maybe we should take a break from Molly for a second to introduce okay. the Jessica plotline. It's kind of, it's nice. It's a good one for, for Jessica, actually. It's pretty straightforward. Um, I know. I was, like, nervous because she wanted to do something that, um, like, honored Regina in some way. And when she's talking to her friends about it, she immediately, like, starts bad-mouthing Molly, <laughs> like, in the same conversation. I'm like, is your way of honoring Regina going to be, like, bullying Molly or something? Like, what are you going to do? <laughs> it's funny you should say that, because it is almost like the tension of this plot line is, like, is Jessica going to screw this up somehow? Because <laughs> it's also, <laughs> she's trying to arrange this through Pi Beta Alpha, which even Elizabeth is skeptical. It's like, how are how are these, like, catty, gossipy sorority girls, of which I am a member in name only, you know, how are they going to pull together something that's like actually nice? But they do. They like come up with this whole great plan to to start a scholarship fund, right? It's like a college scholarship fund. And it'll start next year for a senior. And it's sort of like the thing that Elizabeth turned down to go to Interlaken in Switzerland. Yeah. I don't know if it's like, I mean, it's not to any specific school. So I guess no. it would just, you would get a lump sum to go yeah. to whichever university or college you wanted to go to. Yeah. And so there's this scene where Jessica is telling her parents about it. And there's nothing particularly remarkable about the scene. It's just kind of like happens. And it, the whole chapter of the book is slightly unnecessary, except that, you know, it helps show how Jessica's parents are supportive and how Ned Wakefield volunteers to manage the financial side of the fund, which is all very nice. But there is something that stood out to me. And gladiators, um, if you are paying careful attention to the series as a whole, you might notice something here. Um, So Alice Wakefield has called home to say that Elizabeth shouldn't start dinner. Mm Mm-hmm. This is this seems like this is so so much nonsense compared to the very serious main storyline we're talking about. But Alice is called home, said don't start dinner. Jessica is annoyed because she's like, but I'm hungry. And Elizabeth is like, but you just ate a bowl of cereal half an hour ago. And Jessica's like, how come mom only cancels on the night you were supposed to cook? Which is hilarious because the whole last book, giant 200 page book I just read was about the opposite thing. But uh when Alice finally gets home, she's got all this delicious smelling fragrant takeout that she brought and mom got Chinese, Jessica explained unnecessarily as they began opening the cartons. I thought this whole family could do with a break, Mrs. Wakefield went on, smiling fondly at her daughters. We've all been a little down lately, so what do you say we take this food out on the patio and just have a good time? There's a whole paragraph about all the different kinds of food that they got. Sticky spare ribs, spicy sesame noodles. Afterward, Jessica sat back in her chair and let out a happy sigh. She reached down to stroke Prince Albert's head. I'm stuffed. That was a great idea, Mom. 
Mr. Wakefield popped a chunk of water chestnut into his mouth with his chopsticks. Mmm, it sure was. <laughs> so, so, first of all, that was like a, an entire page of this book was devoted to this nonsensical scene. But also, Ned Wakefield is famously, purportedly allergic to Chinese food. So this is revisionist history. Yeah, first he's allergic, then he admits that he just doesn't like it, and now he loves it. And it's like, what? No, you hate Chinese food. It's like one of the only things I know about this character. Like, he's a lawyer, he's their dad, and he hates Chinese food. It's like, he only has three defining characteristics, and you just took one of them away. I would love to think that, like, little girls reading these books back in the 80s and 90s were like, wait a second... Chinese food. Like they were following it that closely. I also think it's hilarious that the thing that they that they highlight him eating is a water chestnut, which I mean, I think water chestnuts are fine. But I feel like I know a lot of people that that would be like one of the number one things of like Chinese takeout that they would not enjoy popping solo into their mouths like yum yum water chestnut. Uh, Anyway, so just that was a little bit of levity. Before we dive back in. Oh, and Prince Albert is a Labrador now, still? Oh, I stopped. I stopped paying attention to that. <laughs> I, uh, that's my bad. Um, but yes, we, there. there's a line early on in the book where his ears get fondled, and that stood out to me. Um, yes, Labrador Retriever. You are exactly right. So, we'll keep an eye on that. Prince Albert watch. <laughs> Yeah. I, I was I was lying down on the job. I'm glad you got. I'm glad you're keeping an eye on that. Thank you, Megan. I really appreciate it. Sure. So let's see, Molly. <laughs> I said that really, Chicagoy. Um, <laughs> Molly goes to Kelly's, and Buzz is like in. The, Buzz can't go in there because he's no. He, she okay before she even goes to Kelly's, she has to sneak out. Because she's, uh, what do you call it? Grounded. Grounded. And then she hitchhikes. And I'm like, girl, no, don't hitchhike. <laughs> That's right. That's right. It's just like a passing moment in the story, too. Yeah. Like, yeah there's no, like, tension to indicate, like, this is a bad idea. They spend it's just less... like, she hitchhikes, and then she gets to Kelly's, and then we're moving on. And I'm like, no, no, no. <laughs> the book spends less time talking about the hitchhiking than it did talking about the Chinese food dinner. At yeah, the there's like two out. pages of Chinese food talk. There's like a paragraph of, and then she hitchhikes. <laughs> so, yeah, you're right. And the she overhears some guys at Kelly's talking about how, yeah, Buzz went to some kind of Mickey Mouse kids party and he's got some girl killed and now he's on the run from the law. Ha ha ha. And it's so strange that they laugh at that because it's like not a joke. It's just like that's what Molly thinks too. Molly thinks it's strange too, and then yeah, then there's this awful scene in the car where he's (laughs) during at one point in the scene, like so they're they're like smoking a joint, they're drinking these beers, and Buzz is very much like strange that Kelly's lets you just (laughs) grab your beers and drink them in your car. It's very strange. This place doesn't give a fuck. You can do whatever you want. No wonder it's so popular with the teenagers and the underbelly yeah. of uh, of Sweet Valley. Yeah, so they're just, just sitting in Buzz's car, drinking beers from a bottle, from bottles. At one point, like, it describes Buzz lifting Molly's hand, which is, like, putting the joint into Molly's hand and, like, lifting her hand to her mouth. I didn't even notice that. Yeah, it I was, I mean... Notice- 
The almost at once she felt a soothing tingle and she was glad she hadn't eaten any dinner. This is after she takes like one sip of beer and I just wrote a note. No, she did not. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, especially not Molly. I mean, maybe if Elizabeth took a sip of beer on an empty stomach, she's like never had a beer before. That's not true either. There's been there's been wine drinking in these books before. But yeah. Uh, Molly, heck, yeah, I don't think the soothing tingle would would come (laughs) after (laughs) after one sip of what's probably like Coors Light. Um, Essentially water. So Buzz really lays it on thick with Molly here and, and is selling her, you know, a bill of goods. He's here. I'm going to go ahead and read it. You know, they're kind of cozy in the car and he's telling her everything she wants to hear and kind of like allowing her to sort of let loose and not feel feelings because of the pot and the, yeah. Yeah. So do you need a Molly or are you just reading Buzz? uh, Well, would you like to be Molly? Sure. I can be Molly. All right. I'm on page 77. A slow smile spread over his face, but he grew serious again in a moment, and he took her hand in his. Molly, you know, I never thought I'd say this to a girl, but I really need you. I feel something deep and real for you. We belong together, but... But what? Molly said after a long pause, her voice thick and slurred. That's okay, it was thick and slurred enough. He shook his head. But I gotta split, Maul. The cops are after me, you know? I've gotta get out of this town and stay out. Molly tried to swallow, but her mouth was too dry. She brought her beer bottle to her lips and sipped the last few drops. There was something he was trying to tell her, but she couldn't make her brain concentrate. I... I don't understand. Oh, Molly. Just when we found each other, that's the way life treats people like us. After all these years, I finally found somebody like you, and I've gotta leave you. Damn, it's so unfair. But... He pounded the steering wheel angrily and scowled through the windshield. If only... No, forget it. It's impossible. He ran a hand through his hair in a gesture of angry frustration. If only what? Turning, he took her face in his hands and looked deeply into her eyes. Molly felt as if he were staring straight into her soul. If only you could come with me, then we'd always be together. But I can't ask you to do that. Just forget I ever said anything. He dropped his hands and stared ahead, but darted one or two quick looks at her from the corner of his eyes. As if from far away, Molly heard her voice saying, I could come with you. Molly, she's like, what what is she saying? Is she crazy? But basically, Buzz is trying to get Molly to come with him so that he can get, because like, she has a bank account, right? So I don't know. I don't think Buzz could have known this, but he asked her, like, do you have any money? And yeah, yeah, she does. And it turns out she does. So I don't, it's hard with Sweet Valley unless, well, I don't know. Do we know? Does she have money? Like, is she from a rich family? Because like both of her parents, well, both of her parents work, but then her, they're divorced. And so I guess like they might get some alimony from the dad and the mom works a lot though. I have no idea. I mean, they've, she's got this, she's got a brother, they've got, it seems like they've got a pretty big house from the way that party was described, but for, yeah. I feel like it's just, like, Sweet Valley default, which is, yeah. like, lower, upper, middle class, <laughs> you know <laughs> what I mean? Or upper, middle class. Like middle, maybe. middle class. Like, yeah. Right in the center. <laughs> like, I don't know. I guess it all, de- like, because uh, the money that she has is, like, hers, 
Like, it's her right. bank account that she was saving for college. And the book right. describes it as, like, it was a dream from years ago that she was going to go to college. Right. She's a junior How in many, high school. Yeah, I'm like, so, like, when she was a sophomore, she gave up on that dream? Yeah. Or a freshman? <laughs> Because that's usually when people start thinking about college, not when they stop thinking about college. Right. From here on out, the the book is moving at a really fast clip. Like the next, like the whole rest of the book, this is like halfway through on the midpoint. The whole rest of the book takes place over the next day, pretty much. Um, Yeah. Right? Because there's not a lot of boys in this book, but real quick, I thought we could be in the part of the podcast where we talk about boys. Okay. I guess in a way, the buzz thing was talking about boys, because that was a real, like, romantic speech that he gave Molly. At least that's what Molly thinks. (laughs) (laughs) How old is Buzz supposed to be? I wish I knew that. I really don't know. (laughs) And I should go back and, like, scour it. I think, but I I feel like he's probably 19. You know, like, I don't think he's... he's Yeah. I think that's somewhere around there is about right. I don't think that he's, like, an a much older guy. Yeah. The boy that I, this is just, especially because it's coming after all of this drama and seriousness. Again, when we take a, take a step into Jessica's world and the Wakefield house, it's always a little bit of a respite and it is tonally a tonal shift. So Nicholas shows up at like the crack of dawn at the Wakefield house, Nicholas Morrow. Standing on the doorstep was Nicholas Morrow, looking more handsome than ever, in spite of the worried crease lining his aristocratic forehead. <laughs> that was all I wanted to read. Aristoc- <laughs> aristocratic forehead. I just thought was quite a phrase. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of odd phrases kind of like that. <laughs> what does it mean? What does it mean? An aristocratic forehead. <laughs> it's just reminding you, this guy loaded. But <laughs> Did his we father, forget to mention that before? His father was like a football, professional football player. He's not an aristocrat. Like, <laughs> <laughs> maybe his anyway. mom's like, proofer. I don't know. Yeah, I guess his, his parents are a, like a fashion model, a former fashion model, and a former football player turned uh like silicon magnet so, so <laughs> anyway like giselle and what's his face but he turns into tom brady a, yeah, yeah. If tom brady started a computer chip company right that's <laughs> the morrow parents yeah <laughs> that's sky and mr morrow Maybe it's just that we're in Jessica's POV. So Jessica's thinking of him as having oh, sure. an aristocratic forehead. But so Jessica rekindles her brief, like, th- think, thought about how Nicholas is hot and it's too bad he was into Liz and not Jessica. And mm. then Liz, co- he, he's there to talk to Elizabeth. And Elizabeth comes out and she and Nicholas, like, share a silent understanding glance or something. Anyway, Nicholas is there to, yeah. <laughs> Megan is rolling Sorry. her eyes. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's appropriate. <laughs> But he's there because he he's like wants to talk to Elizabeth about um, how bad he feels about what happened with Molly. And oh, and we did, skipped over the part where Elizabeth says the same thing to Jeffrey, basically, right? Yeah, she she feels bad about blowing her off, and so um, she's like, "Well, maybe if I beg Justin to be nice to her, she'll at least have one person in her life who's nice to her." 
because I still feel like I can't be the one who's nice to her, Mm -hmm. I guess. And so she... um, She calls Justin. Yeah, she finds his number in the phone book, calls him, and is like, hey, could you be nice to Molly? (laughs) And he's like, no. He's like, fuck off, bitch. (laughs) Sorry, I mean, not in those words, but that's basically what he says. Like, who are you? Why are you calling me? (laughs) What? This is none of your business. But she has a point. He does have a point. Like, where did you get this number? (laughs) (laughs) And it's like, and she even feels like kind of silly when she, when he first answers the phone, like, ah, crap. Now I have to do the thing that I said I wanted to do, but I don't actually know what to say. (laughs) Yeah. But so when Nicholas comes over, she basically, Nicholas is not in the high school. He's, he's out of high school already. So he, she basically agrees to try to figure something out. Like if she sees Molly, she'll try to talk to her and let her know that Nicholas is sorry. Yeah. But and it's sh- weird, because, like, couldn't he just call her house? <laughs> like, why yeah. does he need to grab Elizabeth for her to, yeah. you know? Yeah, it's true. And also, like, so Elizabeth goes to try to talk to Justin first, but Justin is like, I already told you, oh, there's this great moment that I actually thought was, I've been waiting for a paragraph like this in these books for, for 40 books. This is... Oh, wow. um. Yeah, I know. You're like, what could possibly be in this book that you've been waiting for? I really missed it. (laughs) No, I was very satisfied reading this. It's at the beginning of chapter eight. So Justin is like having a hard time uh, focusing on his schoolwork. He's at the school and he's in the library. Okay. He stared morosely around the library. Through the window, he could see Ken Matthews and Winston Egbert clowning around on the front lawn with a frisbee. A group of girls stood nearby, laughing behind their hands. Some boys from the tennis team called out jokes to one another on their way to the courts. Why is it my life like that? He wondered. Why can't I ever be like them? He grasped his pencil so hard it snapped in two in his hands, making him jump. Shaking his head in disgust, he tossed the two pieces onto the table and slumped down farther in his chair. He would never have a life as free of real problems as those kids' lives were. How could he, with a pill-popping mother and no father at all? Everything I touch falls apart. So maybe not the last two sentences, but just this thought, like, he could never have a life as free of real problems as these kids' lives were. And just, like, that observation that, like, oh, like, hey, these Sea Valley kids, all of the problems that you've been reading about for the past 40 books, or 39, will say, like, most of those are not real problems. (laughs) I mean, it really depends on who you mean. Like, when it comes to, like... Winston Egbert and Ken Matthews. I don't think they've had real problems. No. Like, Elizabeth and Regina were both kidnapped and held hostage. That's true. Uh, (laughs) Trisha Martin died. Uh, Right. Yeah, okay. So there have been some real problems, absolutely. (laughs) But Ken Matthews and Winston Egbert do not have real problems. They've been fine. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But yeah, one thing that Liz says to Justin is like, yeah, I can talk to Molly, but I don't think Molly is going to listen to me. And she ends up kind of being right about that, right? You know? Mm-hmm. Because, oh my gosh, the the next, uh, the events of the rest of this book are so, like, like a, the cha- a chain reaction. Um, yeah. It's annoying that whole day, because Elizabeth's like, oh, I see her. I should go talk to her. It's really awkward. I'm not going to. Oh, yeah. I see her. I should go talk to her. Oh, no, it's really awkward. Oh, I'll just talk to Justin. Oh, Justin's, like, not having it. Oh, I'll definitely go talk to her now. But she feels like 
she has to do it soon. And it's yeah. like, the reader knows she has to do it soon, because what's-her-face is gonna, like, run away. But, like, yeah. there's no reason for Elizabeth to feel like, oh, I have to do it within a certain time period. <laughs> right, that's true. But she just had this feeling, you know? And then, <laughs> uh, very fortunately, she uh, when she talks to Jessica and Lila and Kara about how she wants to talk to Molly because she feels bad. Well, first of all, Jessica is like, it's almost as if you don't even care about Regina, if you could even countenance Mm. talking to Mm. Molly, which is a low blow from Jessica to Liz. Yeah. Uh, But Kara... (laughs) Kara is like, oh, well, I was in the main office earlier today, and I overheard (laughs) Molly asking someone how, if there's a bus that she can take to the bank... And she didn't ask another student. She asked, like, the receptionist. So she's, like, admitting, I'm going to, like, leave campus during the day, which is something that is probably against the rules. <laughs> Who knows? Letting you maybe know they have an Maybe all. they have an open campus, but, like, even if everything is totally on the up and up, the idea that, like, Elizabeth has, is talking to the one person who happened who to be... Yeah. Over here, this important piece of information is such a coincidence that I cannot handle it. But luckily, <laughs> Elizabeth is like, the bank? Uh-oh. <laughs> like, again, why should she be on such high alert? I'm not sure. But she goes. Yeah. She, I guess, gets in the car and drives to the bank. and Yeah. It's so crazy, too, because she feels like Molly isn't going to listen to her and is immediately going to be like, I don't want to listen to you chastise me again. Go away. And so her way of handling this is to stalk her (laughs) and to show up in a place where she's not expecting to see Elizabeth and then talking to her. And it's like, well, of course, that's going to go badly. Yeah, it It goes exactly. Yeah. It's cool. Yeah. It goes exactly like Elizabeth thinks it's going to go. This whole scene at the bank is so weird. Like, Molly is really nervous and she's trying to figure out how much money to withdraw and it's just really like stretched out for tension. Um, Like, Mm. is she going to close her account or she needs another withdrawal slip? Anyway, it's Elizabeth now knows that Molly has like all this giant stack of money because Molly's asked for her $2,300 in 50s. So she has Mm. a stack of $46, $50 bills. Uh, (laughs) And Elizabeth's like, huh, that's weird. (laughs) But Molly won't. (laughs) Elizabeth invokes Justin, and Molly thinks, uh, oh, God, Justin will listen to Elizabeth, but he won't listen to me. Like, mm-hmm. Of course, that's not really true. Justin didn't want to listen to Elizabeth either. It's just Elizabeth tried yeah. harder. <laughs> <laughs> I think this is when Elizabeth goes back to school, and Molly doesn't go back to school, but Justin has just, Justin's thought about what Elizabeth told him, and he's, like, in skipping class to wait for Molly outside of her classes. Yeah, again, because it's so important that he talks to her immediately. He can't, like, wait until after school and stand outside of... Like, it would make sense if he was like, I'll skip my last period and, like, catch her before she goes home and, like, maybe walk her home and talk to her. But he's like, no, I have to catch her immediately. So he just takes the rest of the afternoon off. For some reason, the students know that there's this urgency that they have no real reason to know about. But, but of course, he gets caught in the hallway during class because, yeah, that's, <laughs> that's not allowed by the principal, <laughs> of all people, who gives him detention and is really a dick to him all around. Yeah, uh, he's a 
bad principal. I don't even remember this dude. Have we met the principal before? Oh, most of the time. So Chrome Dome Cooper, most of the time (laughs) we just hear about him. Like he doesn't usually have a moment like this where he's talking to a student, but he's, yeah, he's all on Justin's ass about being a bad, a bad seed or something, you know, like. Yeah. Yeah. He's like, you're bad news. And like, when are you going to get your act together? You jerk i don't know he doesn't say like quiet in those words but like close to that (laughs) it's almost like he's treating justin the same way everybody treats molly and i mean if if mr cooper had any idea of like what was going on with his students in his school he would be like oh here's a kid whose good friend just died suddenly you know he says but if you keep this up i'm gonna bust your tail right out of the school maybe that would get through your thick skull and it's like Whoa, dude. <laughs> what an asshole. I always felt bad for Mr. Cooper because Chrome Dome is such a cruel nickname, but um, not anymore. No. <laughs> not in this book, at He's least. He's a dick. <laughs> he is kind of a dick. But so Justin is basically, like, incapacitated now. He is in detention. He doesn't even get a chance to talk to Liz, although he sees her at the end of the hallway and they make eye contact, but Jessica pulls her away and it's mm-hmm. just like a missed connection. Jessica and Elizabeth, meanwhile, go to the uh, Oracle office to work on a write-up for the paper about this new fund. And this is where um, we have a beautiful instance of Collins Collins Watch Watch 2020. 2020. (laughs) So it's Olivia, Penny Ayala, Elizabeth, Jessica. They're all in the Oracle office, and they've just read Jessica and Elizabeth's solemn... Oh, solemn is a a weird choice of words. Jessica and Elizabeth's very serious and sad, like, write-up about this scholarship money fund Mm -hmm. in Regina's memory. So then, just out out of nowhere, well, this is a pretty solemn bunch. The rich, deep voice came from the open door, and the four girls turned to see Mr. Roger Collins, the newspaper advisor, walk in. He set his knapsack on a chair and gave them all a disarming smile. With his strawberry blonde hair, rugged jaw, and twinkling blue eyes, most girls at Sweet Valley High thought he looked like a younger Robert Redford, and he had a personality to match his good looks. Friendly, dedicated, but demanding, and open-minded, Roger Collins ranked among the most popular teachers at the school. So that's Mr. Collins. He's sexy as ever. And he's giving some solid advice in this scene where, I mean, one of the things they actually, their conversation turns to Molly and Mr. Collins has noticed how Molly has been ostracized in school. Um, And Jessica says, she's a really messed up kid. Jessica said feebly, not meeting her teacher's eyes. She's into drugs. And maybe there's some underlying pain that drove her there. And she's not going to be able to get out of that trap if you all keep pushing her back in. Which is like, it's just really, really sums it up very nicely, I think. And um, Olivia is convinced, too. Oh, no, wait, this is Elizabeth's line. She says later on in the scene, Molly needs help, not hate, Jess. That's what I've been trying to tell you. Just try to see it her way. But help, not hate. They use the term messed up kid like 50 times in this book. <laughs> Those kids are messed up. <laughs> Even Molly says of herself at some point in the book that she's a messed up kid. Oh, and she is. <laughs> but, yeah. Um, in fairness. Yeah, but uh, yeah, th- what, what Mr. Collins is describing is exactly what's been happening throughout this book. So yeah. 
basically, eventually, Elizabeth is able to talk to Justin. She tells Justin about all the money that Molly t- was took out of the bank. Justin's freaked out, so they drive together to Molly's house. Am I getting that right? Am I skipping yeah. anything? No, I don't think so. And they get there just in the nick of time. Well, actually, they're they're really what they are is a few seconds too late because yeah. they're Molly gets in the car. She's got a big backpack with her or knapsack, I guess, as this book insists on referring to them, and she drives away. Uh, and they follow. They follow, and they follow them to Kelly's. Yeah, or they follow Molly to Kelly's, and that's when Justin and. Elizabeth are sure that something terrible is happening and that Molly's running away, right? So mm-hmm. Elizabeth goes in to make a phone call. To uh, Elizabeth goes to call the cops. Yeah. And Justin She's makes... using a payphone. Right. And Justin makes a real lucky guess about where they're probably going. It's like south on Route 7 because nobody takes it. Yeah, because I guess he's like, well, he's going to go towards Mexico, so that's south. And mm-hmm. which roads go south? All of these ones, but this one's like the least used one. So yeah, he's really like Sherlock Holmesing it up here, and he yeah. <laughs> and his plan is also to like cut them off because basically that's, he yeah. knows the cops are looking for Buzz, but how are they going to catch Buzz if they don't know where Buzz is? So they're just like making a making an educated guess about where Buzz is going to be. This is so crazy dangerous like calling the cops makes sense like actually chasing after buzz and doing like defensive driving to get buzz off the road is like that takes a lot of training and the fact that he's like so confident in his like driving abilities yeah like molly's in the car with buzz so it's not like oh i don't care if buzz gets hurt like he obviously cares if molly gets hurt (laughs) yeah and like how did justin learn how to do this like he he like (laughs) speeds up and slows down and speeds up and like then starts driving in the middle of the road and then he like hits the brakes and like spins out and forces buzz Mm -hmm. off the road now i was a little bit spotty on a couple parts of the scene because as you can see you, Megan, not um, not you, Gladiator. Sorry, Gladiators. I'll post a picture on Instagram. Um, the, my book is a little bit uh, chewed. It's a little bit uh, like a dog ate part of my book. But I, I had <laughs> that all does the way. Sound th- like a lie, though. I'm sorry, <laughs> Gladiators, I, I, but the dog ate my book. I, I have <laughs> read it all. I have read it all, and also only like only. There's only this much missing of, like, <laughs> like the middle paragraph of is only missing from the last, like, three or four pages. But um, um, that's not – I'm not going to let that stop me from reading <laughs> reading a passage here about the fight that happens between uh, Justin and Buzz. Because they're both out of the car, and Buzz has a mm-hmm. knife. Yeah. And <laughs> Justin – Justin doesn't have any weapons at all. No. So he finds a stick. And Elizabeth is no longer with Justin. She's still at Kelly's, I think. Yes, that's correct. Um, So I'm going to be making up a couple of these words, but for the most part, this is what it says in the book. Um, Buzz growled, bending forward in readiness. You're really asking for it, you punk. Then he sprang, knife outstretched, and Justin made a desperate slashing swing with his stick. It cracked in two on contact with the sharp knife, but the momentum knocked Buzz to the side, and he stumbled clumsily past Justin. Without waiting to think, Justin brought his foot up as hard as he could and kicked Buzz squarely on the wrist. The knife whistled over their heads and landed with a soft click in the dust. 
Astonished, Buzz met Justin's eyes again. Then Justin lunged, grabbing Buzz around the waist and bringing him down onto the road with a thud. They rolled wildly across the pavement into the grass, pummeling each other with their fists. Buzz's fingers stabbed upward towards Justin's eyes, and Justin flung himself back out of the way. Buzz scrambled to his feet, but Justin tackled him again, and they both went sprawling. Then, with a well-aimed punch, Justin cracked Buzz on the jaw. The drug pusher went limp. Yasping for breath, Justin heaved himself to his feet and stood where he was, leaning with his hands on his knees. Then he looked up into Molly's frightened gaze. She nodded at him and closed her eyes. In the distance, the wail of a police siren sounded through the darkening night. "'We're going to be okay, Moll,' Justin assured her, breathing painfully. He glanced down at the motionless figure on the ground and felt slightly sick to his stomach. "'It's going to be all right. It's over now.' Molly stumbled forward and fell into his arms. They stood silently, their arms around each other, as they waited for the police to arrive. The nightmare was over. <laughs> uh, so, the nightmare's over. <laughs> Everything's good. Everything's great now. <laughs> Molly has a friend. Uh, maybe two friends if you count Elizabeth as well. Mm-hmm. Nicholas doesn't hate her. <laughs> and she's not moving to Mexico. And she kept all her money. <laughs> yes, maybe she'll even go to college because... Um, even though it can't be resolved ever in this series because it won't apply until she's a senior and they're never going to get to senior year. Because <laughs> they're in purgatory. Uh, right. Molly <laughs> is has already started talking to Mr. Collins and or Mr. Collins like said to Molly that maybe she should apply for the scholarship. Like if she really buckles down and like is serious about her studies, that maybe she could get it and that. And Elizabeth says that she thinks the Maros would probably really like that because then Regina's death wouldn't have been in vain, you know? I was like, <laughs> you don't buy I it. Want, yeah, no. I, I want Molly to go to college. I like Molly, but <laughs> maybe don't apply for that scholarship. Like, it just yeah. feels like you're a little too close to it and you don't want more scrutiny on you. You've already dealt with being an outcast once. You don't really want to bring that on yourself again. (laughs) Yes. Maybe ghoulish is the word I was trying to think of. I feel like it might be a little bit ghoulish as well for her to apply. I mean, it's a nice... I mean, I saw this coming. I guess I've read this book before, but I feel like I saw this twist coming. At first I thought that the issue was going to be with the B-plot of the... um, the scholarship was going to be that she applies and then everyone is like outraged and says like, you can't do this. And that's when things were going to come to a head, but like it's not applicable because she's not a senior yet. And they're only just getting started. And this story like takes place in such a short amount of time. Yeah. It's like a couple days or like there's like a week passes. And then after the week passes, it's like a couple days. Yeah. And like, obviously she's gone through something horrible and it's like, she's a, 16 year old or something so like her understanding of time is very different but the way the book makes it seem is like oh this has been she's been an outcast for so long and it's like it's been like two weeks since Regina died though so she's been it an seems outcast like that, for yeah. like two weeks <laughs> right it's a quick turnaround that's for sure yeah. I mean as long as we're talking about time being sort of meaningless in these books they have a line where they refer to like in the same paragraph how Stephen's mourning for Trisha was really long lasting. Yeah. But 
Like, obviously, we know that he's gotten over it. I mean, I mean, he still hurts, but it's like he's moved on but from he, that. he has a girlfriend, right? He's dating Kim yeah. or whatever. Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> so weird. But, uh... But I don't know when Trisha died. Yeah, I think it's even, like, the book said... That's what it is. In the same breath, it's like, it wasn't that long ago that Stephen's girlfriend, Trisha, died of cancer. And his grief was painful and long-lasting, so in, right. in the same breath, it's like it wasn't that long ago, and his grief is not lasting. So, long ago, but it's yeah. long enough ago that it's long. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> it's like what? <laughs> that sentence almost made sense, but not quite. <laughs> so, yeah, we did it. We got through the whole book. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> the only little like tease that was happening is that uh, Sandra Bacon is dating this guy named Manuel Lopez, and I am yeah. really nervous about this. I mean, I've read this book before, but doing it for the podcast is a different story. Yeah, it's, um, this is the series that, like, talked about Regina's deafness is like, I don't know. It's almost like she wasn't handicapped at all. Right, right. There you go. I was like, "What are all the terrible things that they said in, in this book?" In this book, that that something like that, you it's like there was nothing about her that seemed handicapped, and I don't know. Right. There's just like a little bit, like, oh, I don't know. And it's Even also in the thing that Elizabeth writes up. She like writes about like Regina is known for triumphing over deafness or something. <laughs> it's like yeah. Ooh, triumphing yeah. over deafness. Yeah. Is a weird yeah. Phrase. <laughs> and I mean. Sorry. So there's nothing at all that the only thing that is notable about Sandra Bacon and Manuel Lopez is that Sandra Bacon's parents are really prejudiced. And Manuel Lopez is referred to when someone asks, like, who are you talking about? They say, oh, it's that Mexican guy. And it's like, I mean, if he he is Mexican, so. Right. And he's probably <sighs> one of the few Mexicans who goes to their school. Uh-huh. So it would help you narrow Somehow, down who you were talking about. <laughs> at a Southern California high school. But uh, it doesn't sound like, <laughs> like the Southern California I live in. But who knows? <laughs> I didn't go to a fancy town high school in Southern California, suburban Southern California in 1987. So who knows? Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so we'll deal with that uh, in the next book. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure. <laughs> yeah. Um, back to this book. Are are you a Jessica or an Elizabeth, Megan? Oh. Well, like, usually I would say I'm more of an Elizabeth than a Jessica. But in this book, Jessica, like, starts a charity and has a crush on Nicholas. And Elizabeth, like, freaks out. It, it turns out she's right, but she has no data to support this idea. And she, like... Like, I can relate to the social awkwardness of, like, her constantly being like, I don't actually want to talk to that person. <laughs> like, this is a hard <laughs> conversation. I'm just not going to yeah. go over there. But then she, like, stalks someone. And she's a busybody, yeah. And she's a bit of a busybody. And I was always like, I'm going to stay out of everyone's hair. So okay. In this instance, a Jessica. Because she, like, does not get mixed up in people's business. Which she usually does. But in this one, she doesn't. So... <laughs> I like that answer. You know, that's a nice thing about having it be a book by book thing. You know, sometimes yeah. <laughs> Jessica is is okay. <laughs> sometimes Jessica's yeah. great, and Jessica, in in some ways, is more of a normal human being than Elizabeth in this book. Well, assuming I'm not forgetting any part of this podcast, which sometimes does happen, 
We did. We talked about boys. Yeah, we talked about boys. We did a Collins watch. I didn't have an oh my god moment. Um, other segments of this podcast I forget. I asked we you about Jessica and Elizabeth. Watch. We yeah, Prince Albert watch. <laughs> all the watches. Yeah, <laughs> keeping an eye on all the important things. Uh, Ned Wakefield watch. Is he talking about being a lawyer? Uh, <laughs> um, so. Uh, nobody talked about how handsome he was, <laughs> about how handsome his parent, their parents were in this book. That's nice. Or about um, how handsome Stephen was. So that was nice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what a relief. Uh, so, yeah, I guess, um, boy, gladiators, I'm so happy to be back with you. Thank you for your patience. Um, thank you for uh, all the new listeners. There, or I think a bunch. Of, if the statistics should be to be. If the statistics are to be believed, a lot of, uh, or at least some people decided to check out the podcast while I was on hiatus, and I am so happy to welcome any new listeners to the show. You know, tell your friends about it. It's still a very little show, and, you know, maybe if it grows to be a bigger show, I wouldn't have to have hiatuses anymore, because I wouldn't just be doing it out of the goodness of my heart and out of a passionate love of these ridiculous uh, soap opera uh, books from the 80s. Follow Sweet Valley Diaries on Instagram. Uh, even if you don't, like, do anything else on Instagram, I'll try to make it worth your while. Uh, and, uh, oh, sweetvalleydiaries.net is a website I mentioned earlier. Um, and you can go look at the history of that project, this project, I guess, on that site, as well as the present. But I did have, um, I get Google Analytics updates occasionally about the website. And it shows me like things that people searched for that got them to the page. And there aren't a lot of, uh, like, one of the biggest ones that uh, gets people there is Winston Egbert, for some reason. People search for Winston Egbert and they... Uh, I guess, like, Jessica Wakefield might be, like, too common a name. And, like, there's <laughs> no other Winston Egbert in the universe except for the one that exists in these books. <laughs> maybe, maybe. Um, but I had a search query for um, that landed on my page uh, over the summer that was Alex Jennings Hot... <laughs> <laughs> Which Alex Jennings uh, is a, is my friend. Um, she is a television personality. She uh, <laughs> plays Carla on the Goldbergs, and she was on the Dear Sister episode of the podcast. And <laughs> I don't know. I know I didn't say anything on that episode about how hot she is. Um, she's a beautiful <laughs> woman. Uh, but... <laughs> I was like, I don't really know that I want to be a part of this, Google. Like, what have you gotten me into? So... Uh, <laughs> The I Sweet Valley Diaries. The most wholesome uh, responses that Google could have come up with. <laughs> I guess you're right, but um, I don't know that I would say that a, an audio podcast is the number one uh, source of Alex Jennings' hotness on the internet. But I'm glad. I'm glad somebody. I, I'm sure whoever found their way to the 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 blog through that search query was very disappointed with what they found here. Um, Did you tell your friend about this? Oh yes, yes. This is not this is not the world's first announcement about okay. about this. No, I told yes, I told How did I told her. To I think it was a combination of amusement and mortification. Oh dear, that sounds about right. Yeah. Um. Her husband also was in that group text, also a good friend of mine who has also appeared on this podcast. So he thought it was really, really great. (laughs) (laughs) 
So Megan, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Where can people find your stuff? I do Not Another Bad Movie podcast where I watch a Lifetime or Hallmark or something like that type of movie. And then I talk about it. Uh, Marissa's been on. So if you go to Not Another Bad Movie podcast com, you can find all the episodes there and all the usual spots where you find podcasts. I can link to it in the show notes as well. Awesome. And maybe we'll talk more about uh, bad movie stuff in the bonus episode. Yeah. If you want. Sounds good. (laughs) Okay, cool. For now, could you maybe tease us for book number 42? I don't actually don't have this part of the book. (laughs) This part is very much missing from my book, so. Okay. (laughs) Will Sandra Bacon's narrow-minded parents destroy her chance at happiness with Manuel Lopez? Find out in Sweet Valley High number 42, available in January 88. Coming next month, the first Sweet Valley High super thriller, Double Jeopardy. The Wakefield twins become interns at Sweet Valley's newspaper and find themselves in serious trouble when Jessica witnesses a crime. She knows she must find the murderer before she and Elizabeth are killed. Whoa. (laughs) We'll get there eventually, gladiators. I hope you're excited. Okay. When I read that, I was like, why can I do that? <laughs> Sorry. A piece of my book just fell off. So, that, <laughs> hopefully, I don't need that part.